Hello, everyone, and welcome to Objective Health. I'm your faceless host, Tiffany. And joining me in the studio today, we have Doug and Elliot. Hello. Hello. Erica's not here today, but in the background, as always, holding it down on the wheels of steel, we have Damien. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> okay, so today's show, we're just going to talk about some items that are in the news currently. I think the topics are pretty interesting. Um, we're going to talk about overweight kids and hopefully they're overweight parents too, because we all know it's not the kids' fault. <laughs> and uh, aborted fetal cells and DNA in vaccines. Also, uh, the ongoing uh, issue of Tylenol causing autism in babies, as well as other contaminants in the environment that might influence a child's intelligence later in life. And we'll talk about some red meat. Mm. And uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, maybe some other stuff if we have time. So um, do you want to start with the overweight children? So there was an article that came out recently. And I don't even have the title of the article on me. Um, I got it. What it's is it? Childhood obesity. Children living close to junk food outlets more likely to be overweight, says New York University study. Yeah. So they in this study, they were seeing how close these children live to fast food or like corner convenience stores. And they said that the kids who lived within a half a block, and this is 0 0.025 miles from a fast food outlet, 20% uh, of those kids were obese and 38% were overweight. Um, if there were no fast food restaurants or corner convenience stores near those children. And they were just like sit down restaurants. The researchers said they didn't find any correlation between that and the child's weight. Mm. So I don't think this is a surprise to anybody considering no. that humans will always take the easiest route to find food. And if there's bad food around you, of course you're going to eat it. Yeah. Not surprising. <laughs> yeah, I mean, essentially, we're not that far from our hunter-gatherer um, ancestors, and it's just what we have to actually gather at this point is a bunch mm -hmm. of, like, you know, fast food garbage. So instead of combing our environment for, like, nuts and fruits and that sort of thing, we're now, you know, grazing on fries and deep-fried garbage. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't think you need a study to tell you that, right? <laughs> oh, you don't. It's, <laughs> it's not a, it's not a real shocker, is it? Um, no. These foods are notoriously addictive. Uh, there are scientists, kind of neurophysiologists, who've worked out they've worked out very well what works best in terms of. Am I, we lost am I you back? for, we lost you you for a sec there, but yeah. You're back. Sorry, yeah. So you, so you have scientists who have been hired for long, long ago who worked on finding the exact or the, the perfect ratio of carbohydrate, of, uh, of sugar, of fat, of the different flavors. And they've been hired by these massive 
food companies, you know, these fast food ref- restaurants. And so essentially this food is, is very much like an addictive drug. Um, and if you are of a, let's say, um, you know, you live over, over the corner from, from one of these places, it's not rocket science that <laughs> it's, it's going to lead to overeating and, and obesity, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, imagine you're, I don't know why they specifically focused on children in this study, because undoubtedly the adults who live by fast food restaurants are probably obese as well. Mm. But just imagine that's on your way home or from work or from school, you're passing like five different fast food joints and a couple different corner stores. You're smelling the food as you drive or you walk by. Of course, you're going to be tempted by that. And then, If you couple that with our society's need for immediate gratification, nobody really likes to take time to plan meals. Like I know families, they eat fast food every single day. Mm -hmm. Fast food is on the menu. Like, what do you want to eat? It's not even an option of, you know, okay, uh, let me go in the kitchen and cook something. It's just like, okay, bring something home from on your way home from work. And this is what we're going to eat. And they sit Mm -hmm. in front of the TV and then they eat it. So, it's the easiest way out. It's cheap. I mean, a lot of places have dollar menus. So you can get a meal cheaper and easier. There's no prep time. You just go through the drive-thru. You don't even have to get out of your car in most of these instances. Just go through the drive-thru and get a meal for like $3. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a very rewarding meal at that. Yeah. You know, not actually rewarding for your body in any way, shape, or form, but like Elliot was saying, it's basically like uh, firing. They've figured out the perfect combination of ingredients to fire up those reward centers in the brain and um, make it addictive. So it's kind mm-hmm. of like even even if the option were there for for you to cook, if you're totally totally hooked on fast food, um, yeah, chances are that's the option you're going to go for. It's kind of like having like a, a fentanyl dealer on the corner. Like, I mean, I'm sure that they like did a study where it's like proximity to a fentanyl dealer. It's like, oh, lo and behold, the people who are closer are more likely to get addicted to it. Hmm. I mean, there's more factors there, obviously, but it wouldn't surprise me if it if it was kind of similar to that or like heroin dealers or whatever the case may be. I mean, it essentially is like having an addictive drug in close proximity. Um hmm. And the only difference being that we all got to eat, right? So, you know, you have to, you got to feed yourself something. And if there's an easy answer and a difficult answer, more often than not, you're going to go for the easy answer. Yeah. Well, the way the article was worded too, it's like they're putting the onus on these children. Mm. Like depending on how old you are, like maybe have uh, a little pocket money or after school job. But by and large, it's the parents that are buying this food. It's not like some kid is, you know, earning money and they're they're going to go to McDonald's, even though they're requested because that's what they're used to. But it all starts with the parents and the families. Yeah. So it's not the kid's fault that they're getting obese or overweight from this food. I mean, who's in charge of the food? Yeah. Most of the time. I guess it depends on how young the kids are. Choice. Yeah. I mean, like when I was like 13 or something, I got a job at a fast food joint and my parents did not feed me fast food very often at all. When I was a kid, it was kind of like a treat. Um, But really, it was probably more like when my mom was exhausted. Um, (laughs) And 
Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I when when I started becoming more upwardly mobile and got myself a job and stuff like that, that's when I started eating the fast food all the time. But I think you're yeah. right, nonetheless. Like, if you're talking about younger children, then, yeah, they're probably not going and spending their allowance on it. Um, mm-hmm. It's probably that the parents are feeding it to them. Yeah. And then over time, their taste buds get perverted. And like you said, that's the only kind of food they want to eat. No one's going to be satisfied with like a piece of meat and some vegetables after they've been eating Kentucky Fried Chicken and McDonald's and Taco Bell for years. Yeah. It just doesn't compare. Yeah. Yeah. Poor kids. Poor kids. They're poor parents. Yeah. It's like, you know, where do you place the blame for this one? I mean, yeah. you know, on the one hand, it's like, yeah, it's the fast food, you know, but at the same time, I wouldn't tell somebody they couldn't start a fast food business. Yeah. And it's certainly not going to have make the fast food companies feel guilty about anything. No. I mean, they have profits to think about. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't know why they considered this newsworthy, but it was <laughs> <laughs> good enough to uh, bring up on the show because I don't know, yeah. this people fall for this kind of stuff sometimes. But another one thing that a lot of people I don't think are aware of, like everybody knows if you live by fast food, you're going to be eating fast food more. But I don't think that a lot of people are aware when they get their vaccines of exactly what's in it. There's a lot of articles in that about uh, like aluminum and mercury or thimerosal that are in vaccines but some of the more gross components of vaccines have been in since the beginning and it gets very little notice so one of these gross components are aborted fetal cells yeah so there's a couple of particular that are in a lot of the the popular or the more frequently given vaccines that they give to children, like the MMR vaccine, chickenpox, hepatitis A, um, they contain aborted fetal cells. Now, if you were to look at the vaccine inserts or go searching online for the ingredients that are in these vaccines, it does not say aborted fetal cells. It might say something like, diploid cells or diploid, however you pronounce that, or something like MRC5 cells or WI38 cell lines. Mm -hmm. So these are all code words for aborted fetal cells, which they use to grow the viruses that they make the the vaccine stock from. Yeah. It was done, the the reason this has kind of come up in the news again is because there was a, there's an Italian research team called Corvelva, and mm-hmm. they did actual genome sequencing on the vaccines um, to find, uh, you know, what exactly is in there. Um, and what they found was that, first of all, the fetal cell line uh, was found to belong to a male fetus. Mm-hmm. Um, the cell line presents itself in such a way that it is likely to be very old, thus consistent with the declared line of the 1960s. So basically what that's referring to is that apparently they... they first started using this um, aborted fetal tissue in the 1960s. Um, and there's some some talk of where it came from originally. Some people say it was like from a woman who was actually in a mental hospital or something like that and was had an abortion. Well, there, yeah. 
there's a whole bunch of different ones like this MRC five line. Mm. I did some research on this a while back, and this is actually from 1966. Uh, mm. It's lung tissue from a 14 week old white baby boy. Yeah. And the WI 38, that is lung tissue of a three month old white female. Mm. Feet also from the 1960s. Jesus. Wow. So if you think about that, not only is it foreign tissue and foreign DNA, but it's old. Yeah. <laughs> like it's been sitting around in test tubes. Not to say they don't keep it refrigerated or frozen or anything, but it's just so nasty. No, they clone like, it apparently. This is such a good idea. Yeah, apparently but they've been cloning it since like the 1960s they just keep on cloning that same thing yeah, over, and keep, and over and over again and keep regrowing it yeah that's crazy but i mean it's, the implicate sorry go on elliot no i was, I was gonna say it's been known for you know a long time it's it's no um it's no surprise that there is uh human dna or you know fetal dna in um in vaccines but this particular article, what I found very interesting about it, kind of um, quite disturbing, was that um, they were linking it with cancer risk. Mm-hmm. So they were saying that actually, like, this has a very real potential to cause, um, to cause mutations in DNA, right? Um, and that, you know... Um, this could be contributing to to cancer. You know, cancer is on the rise tremendously, and there's probably like a bunch of different causes for that. But mm-hmm. that this could be one of the ways. I, I didn't I didn't know about that previously. Mm. Mm. Yeah the other the other thing that they've been talking about apparently the inclusion of well actually Damien maybe you can pull up the article the one that's called moral implications of human fetal cell lines and vaccine production. Um, um see it I've, there? Well, I got this other one up but uh I was I just was putting it up. Um moral okay. Cuz this one actually talks about one thing that I found really interesting that the um there was a, a study in the September 2014 issue of Journal of Public Health and Epidemiology, and the, it basically um, did a correlation between the rise of autistic disorder um, cases and the time when this uh, human fetal tissue um, started to be added to vaccines. And it basically mm-hmm. like correlates exactly. You know, it's not a smoking gun, obviously, but, you know, a lot of times, like, there's different things that have been blamed for the the kind of um, reaction to vaccines that seems to cause um, autism, which is a very controversial statement in and of itself. But, I mean, people have talked about um, it being the mercury in it, and then they're like, no, it's not the mercury, it's the aluminum. Well, now you can kind of add this to the list because it seems like there is an actual correlation between the human fetal cell lines being included in these um, vaccines and this rise in uh, um, autism. And the study authors are actually quoted as saying, thus rising autistic disorder prevalence is directly related to vaccines manufactured utilizing human fetal cells. Mm -hmm. So cancer, autism, 
anything else we can get from our vaccines other uh, than any any sort of uh beneficial uh aspect yeah <clears throat> it's pretty disgusting well i mean that's not the only gross things that are in no. vaccines like they'll use there's argument like in that same article that you were just talking about doug um like maybe there are some christians who would take vaccines but because they use aborted fetal cells and they're against abortion they don't think that it's right that you should be using this particular substrate to grow your um viruses for your vaccines mm -hmm. but they say that you know these cell lines were developed you know way back in the 60s before there was all this concern about informed consent mm -hmm. and so you know maybe these women would have given consent but probably at that time you can't really say that these women knew what was going to happen mm -hmm. with the tissue when it was obtained um maybe they would have been okay with it and maybe it's just like you know if you die prematurely and you donate your organs or something like that that's the way people should look at it in order to make it okay to go ahead and take their vaccines mm. like it's not any different from a heart transplant or a kidney transplant or a blood transfusion but a lot of people wouldn't want any of that either. I know I wouldn't. I wouldn't want anybody else's organs or blood in my body. Mm. <laughs> I just think that's gross. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, the, the, the moral implications of it are, are like, interesting, to say the least. Like, somebody mm -hmm. who is absolutely opposed to abortion in any way, shape, or form, I can see them definitely having a problem with this. And not yeah. wanting any kind of medical intervention that involves some kind of aborted fetus in some way. Like, I mean, it's all just kind of gross. Like, the whole idea of just, like, you know, using humans as these, like, disposable body parts. Like, mm -hmm. using a life to kind of um, get, just, just get parts. Like, you know, mm -hmm. like a car engine, you know. Just take the parts yeah. that you need out of this old car and stick them in a new car. The, the whole thing, like, what? it does leave a bad taste in my mouth for sure. And I think it's not just Christians either that are uh, that have a problem with it. Um, no. There's been other people saying, like, the Muslim community and the Jewish community. Um, but it's mm -hmm. actually interesting because the Catholic Church, uh, I think it was the Pope himself, actually said, um, don't worry, uh, Christians should still get vaccinated. Um, this isn't evil. So he's he's given the okay. <laughs> Well, they kind of make it seem like, okay, well, all the aborted tissue that we've been using, these were cultured like way back in the 60s. It's not like they're doing that now with the babies that are aborted. Yeah, right. But of course, we all heard of the whole Planned Parenthood scandal where they actually are using body parts and other things. And it's not just vaccines that these you know human parts go into. There's all kind of biological uh medicines that use human tissues or mm -hmm. fluids yeah. so yeah do we have a clip yeah we could play the the clip mike adams talking about this um corvalva study yeah uh hang on here it is vaccines not even breitbart but here's the truth. You can go to the CDC's website right now with these documents right here. You can search cdc.gov and you can find mentions 
of these aborted human fetal tissue cell lines, which are called MRC-5. MRC-5, according to the CDC, is used in Verivax vaccines. It's used in hepatitis vaccines, and it's used in varicella vaccines as well. And that's CDC.gov. You can go to the FDA's website and you can find admissions of all of this. These documents here are from the FDA that are showing another vaccine insert sheet. Uh, in this case, this is for Verivax vaccine, and it openly talks about the uh, MRC5 cell lines that are used in the vaccines. In fact, here's a sentence that says, this product also contains residual components of MRC5 cells, including DNA and protein, and trace quantities of neomycin and bovine cell serum from MRC5 culture media. What they're not saying, I mean, they admit it right there, but only if you know the code words. What they're saying is they took aborted human fetal tissue cells from an aborted baby and they cloned them and they put them into the vaccines. And it's openly admitted. Here's another vaccine called Priorix Tetra. This is an MMR vaccine. Measles, mumps, rubella, and varicella. And this says each virus strain is separately produced in either chick embryo cells or MRC5 human diploid cells for rubella and varicella. It's right here. This is admitted by GlaxoSmithKline. This is from the GlaxoSmithKline website. And now we have Children's Health Defense, which is run by Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and an incredible staff there that has gone public. New data shows aborted fetal cells in vaccines. And this is summarizing the new study that has just come out from this Italian science organization, Corvelva, that has found the entire human genome sequence of a male fetus with 560 genes known to be associated with various forms of cancer. It's in the vaccines. They are injecting you with the entire genetic blueprint of another human being who was murdered and who has hundreds of genes linked to cancer. Yeah. Forgot That's to mention that gosh. actually, that there's the <laughs> 560 different genes um, linked to mm. cancer. Well, they say that they they filter it, they strain it, they make sure that there's no contaminants in it, and they run all this safety testing on it. Of course, all their safety tests come up negative, you know, well, in favor of the company. But even if those tests were true, there are always things that you don't test for because you don't know that there's a possibility that they might be in the vaccine. Well, exactly. The unknown, it, unknowns. It might actually be that if they, they think that that is supposed to be there. Like, you know, that they're, they're not trying to, you know, clean that out because they're kind of like, no, that's just like, you know, a byproduct. It's harmless. It's no big deal. But mm -hmm. I mean, do we actually know what the effect of like injecting um, another human's uh, DNA into our body is? I mean, honestly, I mean, they've done enough studies to find that, you know, eating um, different, you can, you can pick up genetic material from like the foods that you eat, let mm -hmm. alone stuff being like, you know, directly injected into your bloodstream. So, 
Yeah, I mean, later on in that video, Mike Adams kind of goes on to say, like, you know, there's been a rise in cancers and, a, uh, you know, a rise in, because he said that um, it might have come from a uh, an insane person, more or less, that there's been a, a rise in, like, kind of mood disorders and stuff like that. And at first I was kind of like, well... I don't know if we can really kind of tie that there, but at the same time, we don't know, you know, it, mm -hmm. th there could yeah. be some kind of effect like that by injecting foreign DNA into your bloodstream. No one knows. That's the problem is mm -hmm. that there's, there hasn't been the s sufficient level of research to rule this kind of thing out. There's just the assumption, the arrogant assumption that this is a safe thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, and it seems like, the, uh, the the general public are the ones who are having to basically be guinea, guinea pigs and deal with the consequences of that. Mm -hmm. And when you see, you know, kids being born, you know, with all kinds of deformities, mental, emotional issues, physical issues, you know, it's just like it's the nat it seems like it's the natural consequence of just this bizarre experiment that mm -hmm. these soulless scientists have been um you know essentially have foisted upon uh, upon humanity without their consent there's been no informed consent people have just accepted it and it's just like it's an absolute mess now yeah and if anybody objects or try to tries to talk about the link between vaccines and certain diseases like autism they're immediately shouted down um, there's lots of places now where you can't even claim exemption either for medical or religious reasons for uh, vaccines. So, yeah, I don't know if there is a way out of this whole vaccine mess other than to stay as far away from healthcare providers as possible. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because these people, there's just no reasoning with them. They think they have the truth. And by damn, if you don't go along with it, they're going to force you to. I think until there is some kind of like horrific incident, some kind of horrific mm. consequence that is undeniably caused by the vaccine, then you mm. might see some kind of turnaround or enough pushback to kind of um, force the issue. But yeah. I mean, I, I'm not wishing for that, obviously. I mean, that would be horrible. But um, honestly, I can't see another way around it. Like the programming is so pervasive at this point like probably 90 percent of the people out there that you talk to are pro-vaccine and think anybody who is against it is insane and mm -hmm. not only insane but dangerous mm -hmm. it's 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 really it's it's a crazy time to be alive to be perfectly honest it's really insane yeah very crazy so speaking of autism and mm. vaccines there was an article that we want to talk about in the news. Um, I think this one is called Study Links Taking Tylenol in Pregnancy to Twofold Higher Risk of Having Children with ADHD and Autism. So um, they're saying in this article that they're finding a connection between women who've used Tylenol, or it's called paracetamol, over in Europe. Um, or the UK, um, women who've used this, their children have higher risk for ADHD or autism spectrum disorder diseases. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. When I was reading this, I was thinking, and they did mention this in the article, 
um, is it the Tylenol itself? I mean, Tylenol can be quite hard on your liver. People OD and die on Tylenol. Even if you take it, you know, what you think is the correct way, you shouldn't be having more than, I think it's 2,000 milligrams of Tylenol in a day. Anything Mm -hmm. over that can totally screw your liver. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a lot of caution to giving Tylenol to people. But is it the Tylenol itself? Or is it the reason that the mothers are taking the Tylenol? Like, well, they couldn't really ascertain that from the study, yeah, from what yeah. I could guess. It was, I mean, they, they admitted that it was a poor quality study, right? Mm-hmm. So um, what they basically did was they cut out the, <clears throat> after the mother had given birth, they checked the umbilical blood, they measured the umbilical blood, and then they basically found like an association between the people or, or the, the blood samples that had residues of Tylenol, paracetamol, or the chemical name is acetaminophen, um, they found that the, 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 the umbilical blood which had residues in, that there was an association with whether it be ASD or ADHD or, or something like that. Um, so they weren't sure whether it was... Um, whether the the mothers had taken the Tylenol on that day as like an analgesic or whether it was just before or previous or whether it was an underlying condition which they needed to take it for. Um, That's that's like, so there, there was no causal link, but mechanistically there is reason to believe that, um, that, long-term chronic exposure of this, especially for someone who is a poor metabolizer of it, um, that that is potentially going to be implicated in the kind of pathophysiology of autism. Because if you look at what 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 uh, this, this drug does essentially, especially when it's long-term and chronic, um, it depletes glutathione. So glutathione is the primary, they call it the antioxidant in the cell. So it, it's performing several different functions. One of those is to protect the cell from oxidative damage. So when there is some kind of toxin or when there is just standard metabolic activities producing some kind of damage in the cells, glutathione comes along and and basically um, regenerates the cells. It helps to protect them. And it's also important for liver detoxification, for conjugating certain um toxins, xenobiotics, chemicals, these kinds of things, and actually helping the body to get rid of them through the liver. Um, and the problem is, is that when you have that depleted, uh, this, this can very much kind of, this has been linked with autism, because if you look at autistic children, typically they have a very poor glutathione status compared with average healthy children. So mm-hmm. this is well established in the research. And it's kind of a mechanistic supposition or, or i i would say theory but you know the mechanistic data is there that if someone is glutathione deficient when they're in utero or when they are very young very young child then essentially when they get injected with the vaccine or when they come into contact with some kind of industrial chemical or cleaning product or something if they don't have the the resources to protect themselves the cells against that then essentially that could trigger like a cascade of inflammatory events that really kind of um, causes autism, right? Mm-hmm. So it's possible that they are related. Yeah. I think so, at least. 
I think there's a good possibility. And the fact of the matter is, they this really actually made me quite mad. They, they quoted um, a doctor in the article, and he was saying, until there is clear evidence of harm, we must not deny pregnant women effective analgesia, that's painkillers, nor direct them to take other forms of pain relief, which may have their own recognized problems. Like, has this guy never heard of the precautionary principle? It's kind of like, well, until it's like absolutely open and shut case that this is causing ADHD, ASD, or other neurodevelopmental uh, disorders, we should keep on giving pregnant women Tylenol. It's like, it's, mm. this guy must be on the payroll. You know what I mean? Like, that is not how this is supposed to work. It's supposed to be the opposite. Anytime there's a chance that something could be harmful, you stop administering it until you can prove that it doesn't cause harm. Just made me so mad. Well, another thing that I was thinking about while I was reading this article, you know, Tylenol is everywhere. People take it all the time for aches and pains, any kind of fever, things like that. And it's easy to get. Just go into a drugstore and you get it. So it's linked with autism. I've seen a few articles about this. What if, you know, the vaccine manufacturers are like, what's well, not us? Look at all these women taking Tylenol when they're pregnant. Vaccines don't cause autism. It's the Tylenol. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you I know, could totally see them doing something. I like can, that. too, because they, they always are looking for the one the one silver bullet, the one thing that's causing the problem when, you know, anybody who knows anything about a more holistic perspective on health knows that there can be multiple causes for these kinds of things i mean just because mm -hmm. even if uh, they find out for sure that acetaminophen like undoubtedly is doing this that doesn't mean there isn't a host of other things that are doing it too it doesn't let mm -hmm. vaccines off the hook in any way shape or form yeah well i guess when you're pregnant taking tylenol and having a child with adhd or autism spectrum I mean, that's not the only thing you have to worry about. There's other chemicals mm. in the environment that can influence your child's intelligence. So kids whose mother had greater amounts of chemicals in their system while pregnant exhibited lower IQ scores. So I guess that's not surprising too. I mean, all throughout history, Pregnant women were treated with, uh, with care. They're given highly nutritious foods, encouraged to rest, you know, stay away from drinking, stay away from overwork and things like that. Pregnant women are generally coddled and with good reason. You want the baby to come out as healthy as possible. So pregnant women avoid doing a lot of things that they wouldn't that they would have done when they weren't pregnant. So it's no surprise that if there's a lot of toxins in your environment, that it is going to affect your child and affect their IQ and their intelligence. Yeah. This was no uh, surprise at all. Yeah. This one was done by uh, Swedish researchers and they, they, looked at the at women in their first trimester of pregnancy and kind of did an analysis on them to see how much uh how many chemicals were in their system essentially and then they went back when the kids were age seven 
and looked at how many of the like looked at their IQ scores essentially, and um, yeah, they found essentially that the greater amount of chemicals um, that the women had in their system, the lower the IQ scores in the kids, and the main one that they found was bisphenol F or BPF. That's one that's actually meant as a BPA replacement because BPA is a an endocrine disruptor. So everybody's like, oh, we better replace BPA with this new one, BPF. And now it turns out that BPF is causing kids to uh, <laughs> lose IQ points. Um, they said other harmful chemicals included uh, pesticide chloropyrifose, uh, mm-hmm. polyfluoroalkyl substances uh, from cleaning products, triclosan, um, which is found in antibacterial soaps, uh, soft polyvinyl chloride plastics and phthalates, um, which are also used in cosmetics and another, you know, stuff like soaps and things like that, nail polish, hairspray, shower curtains, raincoats, car interiors, even dryer sheets. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was interesting, I said, is that many of the chemicals only stay in the body for a short period of time, which kind of indicates that even if you are only having kind of small exposures, there could still be repercussions. Um, down the road, especially for pregnant women. I mean, we're going to have to start sticking, sticking pregnant women in like bubbles like, yeah. <laughs> to, to protect them from all this garbage. Yeah, bubbles in the forest out in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. living in a home built from the natural materials in the environment and everybody stay away from them. <laughs> yeah, more or less. It's yeah. kind of crazy. I mean, I'm glad I'm... Well, this is going to come across as bad, but I was going to say I'm glad I'm not a woman um, <laughs> who uh, is uh, pregnant or thinking of becoming pregnant because this kind of this would terrify me. This kind of stuff, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I would probably yeah. turn my house into a freaking, you know, clean room with, uh, you know, yeah. blasted with um, something, you know, like in the movies when they're all wearing the the suits and like hosing people down with the antiviral antibacterial <laughs> spray kind of stuff that's probably what i would be but of course if you kill all the bacteria then that's bad too so you can't really win yeah yeah well i guess it's enough to just stay away from plastics and foods and plastics and heating things up in plastic and touching a lot of receipts uh cash register receipts mm-hmm. i don't know i you can only do the best that you can it's and true. maybe a little bit better than that. <laughs> I think it's but, also using like uh, as natural products as you can. I mean, that's mm-hmm. a, sl- you know, that's a, that's, that's a whole can of worms there because, you know, there's so many of these natural products that, you know, they're natural, but they still have a bunch of crap in them. Um, mm-hmm. Finding a natural <laughs> alternatives to like body care products, I think can be really helpful um just to avoid uh exposure to these like chemicals and stuff like that like i know elliot you and i have talked about like the the whole baking soda um deodorant trick um or lemon juice i use lemon juice i mean there's lots of alternatives out there you can just kind of like look them up and and kind of see what what works for you but like you know Mm -hmm. if it's if there's a choice between like um using baking soda on my underarms or using something that has like 57 chemicals that i can't pronounce I think I'm going to go with the baking soda. That's just me. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's also taking kind of like the indirect route of just trying to, 
provide your body with the best tools to be able to deal with that, right? Mm -hmm. Because some people can deal with it. And the difference between someone who can't deal with it, someone who can deal with it, is that that person has a more robust detoxification system, robust nutrient status, likely just robust kind of capacity to resist um, and and deal with with the damage. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so the way that you can do that is by, you know, eating a nutrient-dense diet, trying your best to avoid the toxicity, but actually, you know, everyone's exposed to it and try to mitigate that by, um, you know, helping your body um, to uh, to periodically get rid of this stuff. You can give it a helping hand by doing things like sauna and doing things like, um, you know, Epsom salts baths. Um, if, you know, there's lots of different kinds of ways coffee enemas this is a great way these kinds of things but then also you know if you know that you do come into contact with a lot of this kind of stuff then um even some supplemental glutathione or nac or something that is going to ideally help your body just give it that little bit of extra um support to um to to protect itself Mm -hmm. yeah okay well do you want to talk about meat? We always want to talk about meat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like talking about meat. <laughs> but I don't like talking about whether or not it's good for you because it's just so obvious to me at least that it's yes. fantastic. <laughs> I totally agree. And it's good and for the this, environment. Yeah, and this whole back and forth debate is like, oh please just shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it seems like it's always like dueling studies too. Like this mm-hmm, study mm-hmm. just came out that said uh, if you eat a steak a week, you're gonna die a, like a <laughs> lot sooner, and you're gonna make the you, you increase the global temperature by one degree for every bite yeah. of red meat that you eat. Blah 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 blah. And then another study comes out that says no, that's not actually true. Generally, a more <laughs> robustly designed study comes out saying uh, no, that's actually not true. Um, so it's like, I'm not the least bit surprised that people are so confused right now. Mm -hmm. And the, again, it's kind of comes back to that thing I was saying before, you know, it's not rocket science to know that food that we've been eating for, you know, thousands of years, likely millions of years kind of thing, (laughs) that that would be unhealthy. I mean, anyone with a brain should be able to see that, you know, just asking the simple question of, you know, how did we get here? This is not, you know, you, you don't necessarily need a scientific study to tell you that, you know, mm-hmm. if it grows from the ground and if it, if it's not made in a lab, the chances are human beings can eat it. Right. <laughs> and, and it's not going to make someone sick. Um, now there are exceptions of that, of course, <laughs> but when we're talking about meat, yeah, I mean this, it's understandable why many people in the alternative health field, you know, they have to counteract, the nonsense, you know, the, the BS that is, that is um, especially over the past couple of months as well, there have been that many articles slamming meat, particularly mm-hmm. from an environmental perspective. Yeah. Um, and so it's understandable why people ha- have to keep telling the message. But, you know, when, when you already know, it gets a bit tiring sometimes. Really <laughs> you just see it go over and over and over. 
And it's just, like, yeah. Um, well, at first it seems like there was that big, you know, meat is going to give you cancer. Your colon's going to rot. You can't digest it. It sits in your gut and it won't move. And you need all this fiber in order to move all that rotting meat out of your gut. And I think with the whole like keto carnivore craze that's been going on for a while, they can't release get people to go along with that message that well. So now they're going at it from an environmental angle, like the greenhouse gas and the methane farts and, you know, destroying the environment. And And you better feel guilty because, you know, your kids aren't going to have a playground in the next 10 years because you eat a hamburger every day. Yeah. And it's, it's really, it was actually like really well-timed. It seemed like, once more and more people started catching on to the debunking of all that stuff mm-hmm. about the health, uh, the poor health uh, stuff with uh, red meat, it's like as soon as t- people started to become aware of that, it's like, bam, hit them with the environmental thing. And mm-hmm. I mean, which which is just as easily debunked, really, because uh, yeah. if you really look at the science, well, I mean, if you look at the science on the whole carbon cli- uh, causes uh, global warming thing it's just like it's ridiculous it's just absolute mm-hmm. bunk but even if you take that narrative and you believe that looking at meat and meat production if it's done um, pasture raised animals it's better for the environment on all fronts so it's just it, it's just a, a really stupid narrative altogether but it's like you know the one stops working so they just hit them with another one it's like it mm-hmm. really seems like somebody out there wants the whole population to be vegan or eat bugs that's the one concession they'll give us (laughs) bugs you can have the bugs but no hamburgers you can't eat a cow no eat roaches that's for you i'm not eating bugs (laughs) no No. putting my foot down not eating bugs yeah despite all of this like meat consumption has actually been going down i guess since the 70s there's been about a 28% reduction in red meat consumption, at least in the United States. Hmm. But 60% of Americans now have at least one chronic disease that involves, you know, diet. They wouldn't have this disease if they followed a particular diet. So that says a lot. You know, meat is not the culprit. We have to look at what else other people, what what else people have been eating besides meat. Because, you know, you can have meat in the meal and then load it down with you know french fries and whatever side dishes are really popular now Mm. for people to eat yet meat gets all the blame like oh i I have trouble digesting my food (laughs) because of that little piece of chicken breast that i had alongside those (laughs) nachos and the meat gets the blame (laughs) it's totally true yeah. Well, the yeah. reason I, I guess we didn't really actually mention it, but the reason that we're talking about this is that there was a, a, a study that just came out um, published in the Annals of Internal Medicine um, by an international group of uh, researchers. And basically, it was like a meta analysis of existing studies. So just to cut, you know, to the to the chase, basically, they looked at previous studies that had come out saying meat is bad for you and analyzed the studies themselves and weighted them depending on how good of a, of a study it actually was. And what they basically mm-hmm. said was after analyzing all of these studies and how they were done, 
the idea that you can make recommendations based on those studies is just bunk. There is mm -hmm. no way that you can look at these poor-ass studies and say, we need to recommend that everybody stop eating meat or eat less meat or whatever the case may be. They were saying these were so poorly done that no recommendation could be made. <laughs> so um, Nina Tekoltz actually wrote uh, a really good kind of summary of it um, in the LA Times. It's always d a delight to read Nina Tekoltz's uh, articles, actually. She always has a really good take on these things. Um, and she basically just criticized the American uh, you know, dietary establishment um, for making these massive recommendations based on best guesses, weak science, um, likely to de be debunked at some point. And the fact of the matter is, most of these researchers, I mean, they're not stupid. They know that their studies are not super well designed. They know that they shouldn't be making recommendations based on this weak evidence. But the fact of the matter is, they're going to get their paycheck, um, and they're going to get a better paycheck if their uh, study gets a lot of traction. Um, and they know the, the party line. They know what they have to say mm -hmm. to be able to get their funding, to be able to um, get their media headlines. So that's basically like what's running the show right now. These, diet, these dietary recommendations are based on uh, people wanting their paycheck. Yeah, and a lot of these people who are making these dietary recommendations or following a plant-based lifestyle or at least advocate mm. for a plant-based lifestyle, even if they're sneaking and eating meat for themselves. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I'm sure that's what's going on. Mm. Yeah. So I, I've had enough of this whole debate about whether meat is good for you or not. I'm just going to eat my meat and shut up about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. All the, all the finger wagon gets uh, a little bit much actually. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't but like you. I'm vegans. not eating bugs either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So do we have time for, a little bit more. I mean, if we're talking about the environment and greenhouse gases from cow farts and <laughs> industrial farming, we might as well talk about how bad asthma inhalers are for the environment. Oh, God. <laughs> this one was really stupid. Yeah. What was this? the title of this article? I think I just uh, lost it. It was on the BBC. Yeah, yeah. Climate, um. yeah. Got it. About the asthma carbon footprint. Yeah. And how if you have asthma and you're using an inhaler, you can leave behind a carbon footprint as big as eating meat. So that is to say not big. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but big in their mind. So they're putting this news out there. So, so if you have asthma, you probably have like, a rescue inhaler that you'll use every four to six hours if you need to, but who follows that? People suck on those things every time they have a hiccup. But uh, And then you have like a inhaler that you use just every day just to keep your bronchioles open and patent so you can breathe. Mm -hmm. So it's bad enough to actually have asthma and, you know, you have to take these medications. You have asthma attacks. They can be life-threatening. But 
the greenies don't want you to use your asthma inhalers because they put off something like it's called hydrofluoral alkane gas. So if you're using like a couple of inhalers a month, um, if you got rid of those, you could save the equivalent of between 150 kilograms and 400 kilograms of carbon dioxide a year. And they say that this is similar to the carbon footprint reduction of cutting meat from your diet. Yeah. So not only can you not eat meat, but you useless little asthma jerks can't even <laughs> use an inhaler anymore. <laughs> you know. Yeah, they were they were saying that it would be the equivalent of what was it? Uh, was it like four hundred round trips? So there and back from London to Edinburgh. 180,000. Um, 180,000. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Okay. So that's, that's, it's funny how in the article they conveniently said that people who, um, who were still using these should not feel guilty. Mm. And they should, they should, they, they should continue to, to use, to use this inhaler. I think what it seems like is that they're just clutching at straws. They're just, um, this climate crisis stuff has gone. So it's, it's gone so far now that they are pinpointing they're they're they're, they're pinpointing the small guys, you mm -hmm. know, they're going after every little minute detail, Mm -hmm. um, and it's painful to watch because um, I think I think in their minds they think that this is going to have um, a real significant impact. But um, they they made the comment in the article that doing this would be, I think it was that you would be uh, doing just as well to. Um, oh, I've lost it. I'll have a look on the article. But yeah, um, cycle or something. They were talking about recycling at one point. They were they were talking about recycling. Yeah, they were saying it, it would be just as effective as if you were to become an avid recycler. <laughs> yeah, I think that you're totally right about the uh, them targeting the little guy, and it's kind of mm -hmm. like they keep on trying to pile on guilt, like more and more and more and more for like every little thing that you do. Like, oh, you eat meat? Oh, that's bad. Oh, you don't recycle? Oh, that's really bad. What, you have asthma? Oh. It's almost <laughs> like anybody who has asthma now is going to feel so guilty that they're like, well, I better go vegan because uh, I'm already like um, doing worse for the environment than the average person. So I better, I better go <laughs> vegan. And it made me laugh, too, at the end of the article. They were kind of like... Um, once you've finished with your inhaler, it's important to dispose of it properly because they've got greenhouse gases left in them. Take them back to your pharmacy to be disposed of properly. It's like... Well, pharmacy's going to throw it in the garbage. Exactly. Like, honestly, it's like, be careful, that's got greenhouse gases in it. Oh, my God. There's 180,000 trips from London to Edinburgh in there, in that little canister. you got to treat that really carefully. It's like... It's just and it's funny that, that they, they don't mention any alternative. They say use a greener inhaler. <laughs> well, what are these greener inhalers? Where are they? Yeah. How yeah. can I get some? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Stupid. I mean, the fact of the matter yeah. is, I think, uh, you know, finding an uh, alternative to like 
corticosteroids in those inhalers is probably a good thing anyway. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, telling somebody to do without their asthma medication because they're destroying the planet. It really, I mean, it kind of comes down to the whole thing. It's like, like trying to make everybody feel so guilty for their own existence, for like mm-hmm. just existing. You should feel bad. You are hurting the planet. Yeah. Your existence is evil, essentially. Like, man, growing up as a kid right now, these kids are going to be so screwed up. Just so yeah. psychologically messed up. Yeah. Do we have time to talk about another one? Or do we want to wrap it up here? Which one? Is it a quick one? The five Gs? The five Gs? Yeah. That one's pretty good. You guys good. want to talk about the five Gs? Yeah, we can do a yeah, couple minutes yeah. on the five Gs. Okay, take it away, guys. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So there was a a recent article in the Scientific American, uh, which is, for those of you who don't know, uh, it's like uh, an online journal, right? Um, It's a hard copy as well. It's like a magazine. Yeah, and it's basically the most well-known, one of the most well-known kind of hard science um, publications and it's been I think it is the long-standing the longest standing publication and so you know among the whole kind of scientific community and everyone who pays attention to this stuff it's right up there in terms of credibility um, <clears throat> and so oftentimes with the scientific American you will get some stuff that's of questionable <laughs> efficacy <laughs> but um but I, you know, I was really impressed this week to to see that they they had come out with a publication. One of the scientists, I think his name is Joel M. Mos- Moskowitz, uh, he came out with an article saying that we have no reason to believe five G is safe. And reading through it um, again, as I said, I'm really impressed because the the writer has basically come out and rightly said. <laughs> that the research that has been used to justify um, the launch of 5G or even just the safety of radio frequency technology as a whole um, is outdated and that it's based on on shabby research, which was done on animals oftentimes um, with poor controls and um, measuring like the wrong variables kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and how actually since that point, since, um, <clears throat> since then there's been a lot of research, very up to date research, which has really questioned the safety, which has highlighted a variety of mechanisms, which were unknown to scientists in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and which actually may pose a very significant threat to human health in a variety of ways. And, <clears throat> and he's basically pointed out that the, current um, safety limits are uh, completely outdated and, and they're not really backed up by by evidence. Um, and so he's saying that, you know, he's, he's talking about how there has been like an international committee of some of the world leading scientists in, um, in radio frequency uh, science in looking at EMFs and looking at the health effects and how there's been thousands of signatures and there's a whole movement by scientists and medical doctors together um, to basically, um, you know, to, to, to start funding, start funding some research and raise awareness and hopefully put halt to, uh, to the launch of 5G because it could be, um, 
it could be really dangerous and it could end up causing uh, a bunch of health problems, uh, you know, very shortly if they do launch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people should uh, check out, we did a, an interview with uh, Scotty from Scotty's Tech.info um, a while back, almost a year ago, I think, I guess at this point, um, which was a great interview. Um, you can find it on our YouTube channel or our Brighteon channel. I think it's up on Brighteon. Um, and he, what he was saying was actually there are, like, it, it is just kind of willful ignorance, bah, willful ignorance on the part of uh, the FCC um, and the FDA, for that matter, because just from his own research, he's found thousands of studies, thousands of them that actually show a negative effect from radio frequencies. I think it was um, like 10,000. 10,000, was it? Yeah. Wow. Something yeah. like that. So... There you go. It's it's it like, and you know he actually highlighted uh, a couple of documents that had really good um, breakdowns of of all the different um, uh, different effects that have been found and the negative health consequences. So it really is just for the FCC to come out and just reaffirm um, their their same assessment from when did they last do it like 1996 or something like that, um, and they're like yeah you know based on what we did in 1996 we're still we're still good with it. It's like, mm-hmm. Jesus, that was over 20 mm-hmm. years ago. Well, the fact that this article was in Scientific American, and as you said, Elliot, has a really great track re- record for being scientifically rigorous. It's been around for a long time, and they have an article saying that 5G, there's no reason to expect that it would be safe. I guess that's a good thing. It gets a lot of readership. It gets it out there like people who wouldn't have thought about this before are now aware of it. And it's from a reputable source. So I have my doubts. Maybe I'm just a pessimist that 5G will be halted. I don't think the rollout is going to be as widespread as the hype that they're saying. It's just going to be everywhere. I think there's still going to be some pockets of safety. And if you're lucky, you might live in one of those, but you could always relocate if you have the means. But I don't know that 5G is going to be stopped. No, I don't think so. Too much money in it. Yeah. It's and it's it's a kind of like a, a speeding unstoppable train at this point. Mm-hmm. Like the wheels are set in motion. We're talking like billion dollar infrastructure building and like billion dollar contracts and yeah, I think uh it's wishful thinking to think that anything like an article in Scientific American is gonna actually put a stop to it. But mm-hmm. um I mean at least it's it's growing awareness, right? Like you know, the more yeah. people who are aware of what's going on the better. Mm-hmm. Yep. So do we have anything else? Anything anybody wants to add to this um, week's in the news? No? Okay. Well, okay. We will end it here today. Hope you enjoyed the show. Please hit the like and subscribe. Leave a comment if you would like, and we will see you next time with another show. So thanks, everybody, and have a great day. Bye, everybody. Bye. Uh, Bye.